You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, man. These are my final minutes of a man of my 20s. I'm spending them with you, sir. Yeah, happy birthday. Your birthday's tomorrow, turning the big 3-0. Yeah, turning the big 3-0 tomorrow. This is also another big week for me. This is uh, my second wedding anniversary was this past week. Holy cow, you're such a grown-up. I am, yeah, well, and, and yet I have a magic podcast, so you know a little bit of balance yeah i live in the dream yeah for sure uh you're you're just a busy boy these, these days how's your week yeah my week was uh, a little insane uh the head director of our, our marching band left the band in absence to go to go get in touch with jesus he was on a religious retreat this weekend so i had to do rehearsals by myself and then we took the band to our first marching band contest this weekend on saturday and ended up grand champion so that was Holy that was a crap. good result yeah congrats man yeah it was very cool very fun good result for the kids and the parents it's nice to start the season off with high morale yeah um then we had a parade this afternoon the, the paoli fall festival parade so right outside my apartment door with the town square was was hopping awesome well that's good it's a positive result for some hard work yeah yeah very cool and it was nice too that it, you know it went well since i was a little stressed because the head director wasn't there so yeah have you had any time for the magics this week? I have had a little bit of time for the magics this week. I've done uh, two drafts. I did one HOU draft and one Modern Cube draft that I still haven't finished. I'm one and one in that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's check in on the uh, the trophy leaderboard update. Great. Okay, so I have cracked 200 drafts. Oh my god. <laughs> I yeah. So two, 202 drafts. Uh, still at a 68 percent win rate. 388 to 184. And I have 59 trophies still in third place, though the the place number uh, doesn't really mean anything as like, you know, people have stopped drafting the format as re- regularly and are moved on to cube, etc. But uh, I'll, I'll take it. Sure it does. That, mean, that means you're persistent. That means you stuck it out, man. That's right. There you go. How about you? I have done one draft since we last talked, but it was a trophy. So I ended Jeez. ended on a nice even 25 trophies out of 90 drafts. And my overall record was 180 and 82 for a 68.7% win rate, which I'm going to round up to 69%. Yeah, as you should. That is great, man. That's a really good win rate. I think it's really good, especially considering how rocky the format started for me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I could just not buy some wins and I had a bunch of O2s early on. So to make up for all that and end up at that high of a win rate is pretty good. Yeah. So do you think that's it? Do you think you won't won't be able to get another... Uh... HOU draft in before Ixalan drops? Uh, no, I probably will. And I think I think I actually like HOU draft better than the Modern Cube, which says a lot for HOU draft, I think. For sure. Should we, should we take the opportunity now to just chat about Modern Cube real quick? Yeah, let's do it. So what has your experience been? I don't know how many drafts you've gotten in. I've only gotten in a, a handful. I've done one, and I drafted a, a very good red-white control deck, and I should be 2-0, but I'm a bad Magic player. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was playing on stream, and I, had, I have some Mana Rocks and some Wraths and a Wildfire and some Planeswalkers and some removal, mm-hmm. Oblivion Ring-type effects. My deck's good, and I was in a situation where I had the option to, I don't remember, use a card like a Oblivion Ring or a Planeswalker or something. I don't remember what it was. And I used it on the wrong thing. And Dr. Katz was in chat. And he was like, no, you should do this. And I had already clicked. And he was right. And the line I took was obviously not correct. But my opponent had to have a removal spell to punish it. And they did. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I should be 2-0. But I'm 1-1. Gotcha. But yeah, the format's kind of shaken out how I remembered it last time. Which was that it's very aggressive and rewards being proactive. What, what's your experience been? Yeah, so it seems like, as you predicted when you were talking about the green decks, that like green ramp is one of the only broken things you can do in the cube. And I would sort of extend that to the, the few mana rocks that are in the cube, that artifact mana, that fast mana thing feels like one of the only like quote-unquote busted things you can do uh, in this format. So I think those are pretty high picks, and I've gravitated towards those more often than not. But you gotta be proactive in this cube. It's really hard to like sit back on a draw go deck. I was telling you I drafted this like really sweet near mono blue deck that just promptly O three. <laughs> just like if your opponent sticks one threat that you can't deal with then or that you like haven't countered or whatever, they get ahead of you and you don't have a way to recover from that really. So it's really tough to combat the good aggro red decks and white decks that exist. 
Yeah, I remember having that exact same blue deck that you're describing in the last iteration of the Modern Cube and also going 03. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, which kind of, like, I don't know, it kind of sucks. Like, it's it's fun and all to draft a sweet monocolored streamlined deck, but it takes the fun out of drafting, I think, when you just, like, are limited. You know you're red, so you're limited to two picks each pack or whatever. So it's not my most favorite way to play cube. Well, sure, and I think it also is, like, a very different cube experience than the vintage cube i think which is both my favorite and your favorite i would say mm-hmm. yeah and i think this rewards a very different style of drafting uh than the vintage yeah. cube so i i always struggle like fighting my natural cube tendencies in this modern cube because i don't think my natural cube tendencies are what's good in the modern cube do you mean like your natural cube tendencies being like staying open or like valuing mana fixing things like that or what yeah just like dirtling around and trying to do busted (laughs) stuff like i don't think this cube is for that i think this cube is for like beating down like i think i think beat down decks with good creatures and good answers are are the place to be yeah for sure and like sing like having singular threats like it's so hard to get card advantage in this cube Mm -hmm. Like a wrath. Like if you have a wrath, like I always feel like I have to fire my wrath off when they have one creature on the board or two creatures on the board. Like I never get to a situation where I'm getting a three for one off my wrath or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I will certainly still be playing some amount of this cube, even though it's not my favorite. It is still cube after all. Yeah, for sure. I'll probably be bouncing back and forth, but I, I do think I like HOU draft more. Yeah. How lucky to start the podcast when we did in like one of, if not the best limited formats of all time. Yeah, for sure. And and another quick note about the Modern Cube, uh, the Sahili Rai Felidar Guardian combo is gone. So even one, one of the other things we like to do is out of the Modern Cube. Right. So as we recorded our like intro to Cube podcast last week was before they had released the updates for the Modern Cube, which dropped. Um, and so they put a bunch of HOU Amonkhet cards in there. And uh, one of the things that got the axe was the Sahili Rai Felidar Guardian combo. But that whole list can be found on mtgo.com. Yeah, and I do really like a lot of the cards that I saw going through the one draft that I did. You know, I was mm. thinking, oh, that'd be that'd fit really well in this deck. Like, and I was super excited to see Wander and Death in there. I think yeah. Wander and Death might be like the nuts in this cube. Yeah, it does seem good, except I think Black is like not very good. But it also made me think about the cycling lands from Amonkhet that can be fetched, which I like totally forgot was a thing. I forgot that they were like island swamps or whatever. But that's so relevant for cube. Yeah, yeah. All right, so enough about Modern Cube. Let's send off Hour of Devastation in spectacular fashion, because that's what it deserves. Yeah, for sure. It was one of the best draft formats I've drafted, I think, or my favorite, anyway. I don't know about best or whatnot. Easily in my top five, probably my top three. I don't know, it's hard to say, because I've drafted this way more than I've ever drafted any other format, because we started the podcast, but right. like the fact that, for me, like 90 drafts in a format was a lot uh, and the fact that I was not remotely bored, I feel like I could do another 90 and I would not be tired of the format. As someone who has done another 90, I can tell you, you won't be tired of the format. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got a couple things we want to do for our final Hour of Devastation roundtable. And the first thing I think we need to do is discuss the great uncommon debate of Hour of Devastation, which is in one corner, Team Sand Strangler, and in the other corner, Team Banewhip Punisher. I will be I will be representing Team Bane Whip. I will be representing Team Sand Strangler. Though, spoiler alert, in uh, prepping for this argument, I was making like a pro and con list. It's really close, man. It's hard for me to figure out which one is better. I've, I really think this is a lot closer than people make it out to be. So, what sort of spawns this? Well, let let's start let's start with the fact that I'm so confident in the fact that Bane Whip Punisher is better that I did not feel the need to make a pro and a con list because I'm certain wow. the pros come out on Bane Whip Punisher's side. Jeez, I'm scared. I don't think I'm I don't think I'm gonna rep Sand Strangler too good. But I've got the entire man- Magic community, the Magic Pro community behind me, and that uh, Sand Strangler is better. You do. That's a, that's a strong vote in your favor. Strong strong vote <laughs> for Team Strangler. Uh, all right. Why don't, why don't you uh, you want to start us off with Bane Whip, Mister No Prep? Yeah, so Banewhip Punisher is, I think, everything that you want in this format. So the format we've decided is slow, and you're trying to build controlling decks that will beat aggro decks and beat the other controlling decks. And I think Banewhip Punisher excels at both of those things. As a three drop that comes down and punishes X1s, if your opponent is on the Oketra's Avenger beatdown plan, mm-hmm. you playing a three mana 2-2 that kills their thing, like a mini flame tonkavu, is very good. And it stays around on the board 
potentially for later shenanigans in that instance if you've got like a splendid agony in your deck or if your opponent has good creatures that puts minus one minus one counters on themselves it's still a relevant card on the battlefield as a 2-2 with its ability it's very easy for you to put minus one minus one counters on your opponent's things or for your opponent to have cards that incidentally get minus one minus one counters and then on the other side of things if you're in the control versus control matchup you play it it's two black black kill something dead now, which suffers a little bit against Eternalized cards, um, I would say that's a knock against it. But any other thing, you want a Sifter Worm dead, Sifter Worm's dead. You want a Greater Sandworm dead, Greater Sandworm's dead. And then on top of that, I think it's fairly likely that if you get a Bane Whip Punisher, that you will probably be able to pick up a Wandering Death in the Amonkhet packs, or a Grave Digger in the Amonkhet packs, and it excels with both of those cards. Um, and that that's when it turns really, really nasty if you have those kind of combos with it. Does anything change your feeling or downgrade your feeling about Bane with Punisher based on the fact that red is a better color than black? Um, no, not really. I, I don't really feel that way about drafting. Like, I'm trying to draft what's open. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, I guess, like, we're, I mean, we're talking about the pack one, pick one debate here, right? So, yes, maybe, maybe that's even a point in Bane with Punisher's favor that black is probably more likely to be open than red. Yeah, that's an interesting point for sure. I mean, probably not what you want. You want to be taking objectively the most powerful card. Pack one, pick one, I think. But I, I, I would call it kind of a wash that maybe Bane Whip Punisher is in a weaker color. Because if it's in a weaker color, it's more likely to be open. And, you know, if you're taking the card that's in a better color, you're more likely to be cut. So I would, I would call that a tie almost. All right. So I, I was trying to think about this a little, like, methodically in terms of trying to match them up against each other. So what's the best? The best case for Sand Strangler is it kills an X3 at most. And leaves behind a like fairly relevant body as a 3-3, right? Yes. So I think Sand Strangler excels in aggro. Like when you go 2-drop, 3-drop, Sand Strangler. For sure, yes. So like that, the, the ceiling for Sand Strangler is very high in aggressive decks, definitely, because it leaves behind a pretty big body and, and can do that while getting rid of a bigger threat. Whereas like Bandwidth Punisher is leaving behind a small body, getting rid of a smaller threat, probably. Yes. Sand Strangler's worst case scenario is it's a hill giant, or it just sits in your hand while you hope to draw a desert, or it doesn't kill the thing you need to kill. Right. It's got serious setup cost. Mm-hmm. I think I think without five deserts in your deck, I don't know that you can count on reliably curving out with Sand Strangler. You can't count on curving out with it, but that's like I feel like this this isn't terrible if it's not on turn four. No, but I don't. But I don't think it's great. I think if it's not on turn four, Bane Whip Punisher is probably going to be better. Interesting. Yeah, I think one of the things that I think is a nod for Sand Strangler is that it is better on the splash because of the Bane Whip Punisher like kill it dead thing. If it's on the splash, then it's taking two turns to do that. Yes, certain, certainly a nod for Sand Strangler. I would agree. Yeah. So then the best case for Bane Whip is sort of what you discussed is that it kills an X one and then can kill something else that has a counter on it. So. It's a two for one. And then if you also have ways to wander or grave dig it back, then you're getting value off of it. But right. that's sort of like, I mean, that's still a setup cost like Sand Strangler has with Deserts. And you can make the same argument with Sand Strangler, except that Sand Strangler doesn't put itself in the graveyard the way that Bane Whip does. What's the worst case scenario for Bane Whip Punisher? Uh, that you're wanting to beat down and it doesn't beat down very well. I mean, if you're if you're ahead and you need to kill your opponent quickly, it's not really helping you do that. But I mean, at worst, it's either picking off an X1 or trading one for one with their best card on the battlefield. Yeah, or like they've got a bunch of like, I don't know, two twos or three threes that like, it's like I want to put a counter on something, I can't kill something dead, but I also am not interested in like blowing this up to kill that two two or three three or whatever. I've, I feel like I've been in those scenarios before. I'm like, well, I guess I play this Bane with Punisher and put this counter on this thing that I don't really care about that much. Right, so it's but at worst case scenario there, it's trading one for one. Yes, for sure. Which Sand Strangler probably could do as a hill giant, also. Yes, and there's like things to be said about other cute interactions that Bane Whip gets to do, where like you get to cast it, put the counter on their big thing, and then in combat chump something else, and then sacrifice it to kill the thing you put the counter on. So it's like acting like a fog plus a removal spell or a life gain plus removal spell in that scenario. So ultimately, to me. I would categorize Bane Whip Punisher maybe as a slightly weaker card overall that is way more flexible and has less setup cost. And that's what I'm interested in in pack one, pick one. 
Yeah. It's so funny. So this sort of started because you and I were both, weeks ago, both on Team Bane Whip. Yes, and then you abandoned me. And then I abandoned you because, so I was faced with this pick on uh, stream and just pack one, pick one. It just felt like sand strangle. I don't, I can't explain it other than I just like looked at the pack and I was like, when I actually am seeing these two cards side by side, it feels like sand strangler is the pick. Like that the setup cost for it doesn't feel that high when it's pack one, pick one, because I know I have it first. So I know how I need to prioritize deserts. And I've made that pick, I think twice and not regretted it because they're both powerful cards. I think that's sort of the thing. The biggest takeaway is how close these two cards are. And I don't think that that is, I think that a lot of it comes from the hyperbole that some pros use. Like I think Ben Stark, for one, would be someone who like talks about like Sand Strangler's the best uncommon, not close. That's a, a phrase that he has uttered, I believe. But like that, it just seems to be a general consensus that Sand Strangler is the best one. So I think that that's when I abandoned the team Bane Whip. But then today, when I went to put the like list down, I was like, I came down with what, exactly what you said. Like Bane Whip Punisher is just way more flexible, and yeah, it like is slightly less powerful. But the fact that it has so many different ways to be used puts it over the top for me so wait are you are you telling me you're back on team bane whip yeah the sixth sense oh, twist ending to this yes. podcast is that i'm on team bane whip ben yes yeah i'm back i did not know that yeah i know i know welcome welcome home my friend thank you i i'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry that i strayed and i'm i'm happy to be back yes <laughs> well team team casual repping bane whip the pros can yeah. have their sand stranglers bane whip for life dude awesome all right we got something else we want to do here yeah, we're going to take a quick look here at Shota Yasuoka's draft. Um, this was a a wild one. You want to kind of set it up for us? Yeah, so uh, this was actually recommended to us by a listener on Twitter that we should take a look at it. I don't think either of us were watching the coverage of uh, the Japan Nationals this weekend, but I was like, all right, I'm intrigued. Uh, so I pulled up the draft viewer and uh, took a look. And the first few picks, I was like, I don't see what's so remarkable about this. And then it took a turn. So I wanted to talk about it. And even in the pre-show of you and I discussing it, it sounded like we had some different ideas even among ourselves. So I'm curious to see how this shakes out. So we're going to take a seat at the round table in uh, day two of the uh, Japan Nationals uh, at Shota Yasuoka's draft seat. So pick one. We've got Open Fire, Puncturing Blow, Ronus's Stalwart, Sinuous Striker and Dream Stealer, all as cards that he pulls to the front. Yeah, I think that's a pretty easy Dream Stealer. Is that what you would be on as well? That is a that's where what I would be on. I think this is an interesting point to talk about the cycle of rare Eternalizers. If we want to, about like I think at a certain point I said that I would take all of them over all uncommons and commons, and I think I'm probably not as high on that for the full cycle. But Dream Stealer, I think I am uh, above all uncommons and commons. I think so as well. Yeah, it's super powerful. So, And that is what uh, Shota takes there. So all three of us in agreement with that. Uh, what does he got in pack two? Pack two, he sees Bitterbow Sharpshooters, Puncturing Blow, Unraveling Mummy, which is the uh, white-black gold mummy, Vizier of the True, and Aerial Guide. So I see this as sort of a choice between three picks sort of so puncturing blow if this were all right if this were pack one pick one i think i would be on vizier of the true i think so also as it like keeps you the most open puncturing blow is like a slight second and unraveling mummy is good if you know you're going to be white black and i don't know what the like metagame was with this group of drafters um so i don't know what colors he sort of thought people were valuing or not valuing but with a dream stealer i think a Dream Sealer plus Unraveling Mummy is a pretty sweet start to a white-black deck. So I would be interested in taking that, but that does pigeonhole you pretty hard if you end up having to pivot off of black. Yeah, I think for that reason, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we even started the call. We, we were like deep yeah. into this draft because <laughs> we're both <laughs> addicts. Yeah. Uh, I initially said I would take Puncturing Blow, and then you were like, well, isn't Vizier the True just a better card? Which it is. So I think I would actually be on Vizier the True over unraveling mummy because i i don't second pick of the draft i don't want to cut myself out of flexibility that early in the draft and i've been a little underwhelmed by unraveling mummy even in the best white black decks it just seems like good to me i've never seen it be great yeah 
I think even as I'm listening to you say it, I think pre-show I was on Unraveling Mummy, but I'm hearing you say it, like, that's just got to be right. Taking Vizier of the True has to be right because it's going to go in, well, it's not going to go in more white decks. Like, if you're in white-black, Unraveling Mummy is going to be better, I think, than Vizier of the True. Probably, yes. But there is a chance, if you're the only white-black drafter at the table, which is not insane, that it wheels, number one. Number two, Vizier of the True... I think is more at home in red, white, or green, white, but still going to be fine. But it just leaves you, you have way more pivot options in the next few picks if you start with a powerful card like Dream Stealer and another powerful card like Vizier of the True. Right, you can you can go black X or white mm-hmm. X and feel fine about your draft. And go black, white, and you have two fine cards. You have a, a bomb, really, and like and then a like pretty good uncommon that's like maybe not quite at home in this archetype, but still good. Yep. All right, but he does take Unraveling Mummy here. So with those those cards in mind, we're moving on to pick three, and we're looking at Oasis Ritualist, Unquenchable Thirst, Aven of Enduring Hope, and Razaketh's Right. Yeah, this is a fairly tough pick. So let's assume we have Dreamstealer and Vizier of the True that you and I are navigating through this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it comes down to, for me, either Aven of Enduring Hope or Oasis Ritualist, if we're trying mm-hmm. to stay on color with our Vizier of the True even of enduring hope and if we're trying to be spicy uh i think oasis ritualist is just strictly the best card in the pack and i think at this point in a draft i'm still trying to take the best card in the pack so i think i would be on oasis ritualist here what about you yeah i think this really has to do with like what he feels like the metagame is which is pretty maybe like i'm thinking too deeply but i just feel like we're just now getting at like the format has sort of settled from the like three two to three week drought of not being able to get a green deck at all in magic online i feel like now you are sort of being you can get those ritualists passed to you now but i feel like this he has to sort of take into account what he feels like the people at his table are drafting or looking to draft so it, you can take away those ritualist here and i think ritualist third is actually where it is a signal like third pick is where i'm like oh maybe the two people to my right aren't trying to draft this deck which is pretty important but that does feel like then you're throwing away Vizier of the True, because that's not going in a Ritualist deck, right? Right, you're giving up on one of your three cards if you pick Oasis Ritualist. But I think all three of them are powerful, mm-hmm. so it leaves you a lot of flexibility. Yeah, so if I am sort of doing that like staying open thing, I might take the Ritualist here. But I think Aven of Enduring Hope is totally fine, and it's good with Vizier of the True, and then good with Aven plus Vizier plus Dreamstealer. So I, I don't know, I think this is really tough. I think... If I had gone Dreamstealer Vizier, I would probably take Ritualist. If I had gone Dreamstealer Unraveling Mummy, then I, which is what he did, then I would take Aven of Enduring Hope. I agree with that, yep. Um, which is what he did do. So he's now got Dreamstealer Mummy and Aven in his pile. Theoretically, Ben and I have Dreamstealer Vizier Ritualist in our pile. Pick four, what do we got? We have Ambuscade, Sunscorched Champion, Ifnir Deadlands, Vile Manifestation, and a handful of other black-white cards that are not as good as those. So good news is seen cards in all of our colors a great green card a great white card and a great black card in if near deadlands yeah man this is tough this has been a tough draft to navigate i think yeah so from our perspective or from my perspective at least of our three cards if we're navigating our draft we've got dream stealer vizier the true oasis ritualist i think dream stealer is our best card the one we're the most interested in playing yeah um and so i think i would be on if near deadlands to match up with that here Although I, I do love me a Sunscorched Champion. Yeah. Well, so I think it's interesting if you take Ritualist as a green signal and then you get past an Ambuscade, I would be pretty interested to grab that here. Because since our first pick of Dream Stealer, we haven't grabbed a black card. And we haven't really seen, other than the Unraveling Mummy, a black card worth taking. So it's like, well, I don't want to get married to my first pick. But at the same token, if near Deadlands fourth seems like a pretty big signal that black is open, maybe even a bigger signal than a ritualist third that green is open, you know? Yeah. So I would be pretty inclined to grab Deadlands here. I think the card is really, really powerful, and I would, especially with the pile of white and black cards in the pack, take it as, as a signal that those two colors are open. Yeah, for sure. But, so so what are you on here? Are you on Deadlands here? I, w- I would be on Deadlands here, and Shota actually took Ambuscade. So he went black card, gold white black card white card and then they had the option of like great on color white or black cards and pivoted on onto ambuscade here which tells me that he values ambuscade like really really highly mm-hmm. yeah that he doesn't take ritualist as a green signal but he does take ambuscade as a green signal yeah so i mean i guess the takeaway from this would be that he values ambuscade highly and wants to beat down yeah for sure well that is what the rest of his draft sort of dictated he, he followed these picks up with 
He grabbed a Bitterbow Sharpshooter's fifth over uh, a Black Cycling Desert and an Overcome. And then he grabbed an Appeal to Authority sixth, a Kenra Eternal seventh, and then he got an Ifnir Deadlands eighth, which wow. is crazy. Yeah, pretty crazy. So his deck felt like his seat really wanted to be white-black, and it seemed like he forced himself into a green-black shell as Pack 2 shook out. He grabbed... I think about three lethal stings and then some sort of medium two drops and three drops um and i'm not sure if he ended up splashing for the appeal to authority in his final build but he did end up 3-0ing his pod which also sort of blows my mind yeah i mean guys get a draft guys get a draft i mean he's uh ranked number eight in the world for a reason so what are us plebs doing talking about him you know nah, it's fun <laughs> yeah it is fun really interesting seed to navigate and i think just like how cool is it that so deep into the format even you and i who i think are generally like pretty much on the same page are still like well what about this what about this yeah this this format's really good yeah it's it's really really there's so many different ways to win and attack it Mm -hmm. so as a as a way to to send this off i feel like we might want to revisit our the common rankings the top three common rankings for each color uh one final time what do you think yeah it sounds great uh why don't you start us off with black Okay, so here's where I'm at with black, and I think you and I are, are maybe mostly in agreement, but slightly different. Yes. So here's where I'm at with black. Torment of Venom is number one, and this lines up with where I was at the start of the format. I had Torment of Venom as number one. Number two, I've got Desert of the Glorified. Very, very close with my third common, which is Lethal Sting, um, and my initial ranking was Torment, Lethal Sting, and Kenra Eternal, and I would not have Kenra Eternal above Wretched Camel at this point in the format but that's where i'm at removal spell desert other removal spell yeah i think early in the draft i'm on torment then lethal sting then desert and then once i have you know maybe a couple camels desert starts to go ahead of lethal sting for me or Mm. once i have the desert payoffs but i don't think i intrinsically value i don't know they're so close for me but i don't think i intrinsically value the desert of the glorified higher than lethal sting so pack one pick one you're telling me you would take desert desert of the glorified over lethal sting no um <laughs> but that's what you just said right <laughs> uh i just like i can't imagine a situation where there's nothing else in the pack better than those two so it's hard for me to imagine that situation okay i feel like i take i'm fine to take black desert as my first black card really yeah i wouldn't i don't think i would ever do that i think i am now at the point where i think these cards are were i think the deserts are payoffs in and of themselves i don't so, need so you're on you're on the lsv train where deserts are making you want to move into a color i am on that train yeah i don't think i'm on on board that express it's not an express man it's 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 slow it's smooth <laughs> you're gonna get where you want to go yeah i mean the cycling lands do make sure that you draw an appropriate number of lands which is a very powerful thing yeah there was a, a time in the format where i would never think about taking like a white desert first as like a white signal but now i think i am on that with all with like all those common cycling deserts of like oh that seems kind of late like this is a good common this is one of the best commons in this color interesting very interesting yeah all right so i think then we, we may be diverging for the rest of these colors what, what do you got for blue for me for blue i would rank unquenchable thirst first spellweaver eternal second and desert of the mindful third so blue ended up having like blue's commons were really weird with uh I mean, Unsummon went up and up and up and, like, I think is, like, just creeping into the top three for me. Um, I think depending on how your deck is looking, Spellweaver Eternal or Unsummon, like, sort of, I think, wrestle for that that spot in your deck or that spot in your your 23. But an Aerial Guide, man, where's that? Aerial Guide's, like, fallen off the map. I had that rated as one of the best commons initially, and I think it just plays defense so poorly it's it's not near the top three for me but it is a powerful card it was a weird one for how that fit into the format i think it just didn't really have a home yeah that and spoiler alert when we'll get to green but ronus stalwart like are just two really good cards that are pretty narrow for this what this format is trying to do i think yeah i also have unquenchable thirst first but i have desert of the mindful and spellweaver eternal swapped um i have the blue desert Second, uh, again, just same reasons as Desert of the Glorified. It's huge pull into that color for me. And I think Spellweaver Eternal has a bit of the, not quite as much, but Aerial Guide issue that, like, 
it wants to be more in an aggressive deck. And if you're not, those kind of like aggro X1, 2 drops look kind of sad. Yeah, I think I've got it above Desert because of how good blue-red spells ended up being. And I think yeah. that card is like the reason that you move into blue-red spells or a reason to think that that deck might be open is seeing like a third or a fourth pick spell Weaver Eternal. Yeah, that's so I think true. I think I have it second as a nod to the power level of that deck. But I think Blue Desert's probably a, a more flexible card. So I don't know, maybe it should be second. It's close, very close. All right, for green, this is really tough for me, but I still think I've got Ambuscade first as the best green common with Oasis Ritualist nipping at its heels a close second just because of how much of a format-defining card it was and uh, Desert of the Indomitable as the third best green common. What about you? I would agree with all of those entirely. And it's close between Ambuscade and Ritualist, but I, Ambuscade's so powerful. Like, it just yeah. lets you beat down, and I think beat down was a reasonable place to be in the format. And, like, you want Ambuscade in all of your green decks... You don't want Oasis Ritualist in all of your green decks. Yep, I would agree. So that's that's sort of where it goes for me. But I, I can't, for the same reason that you want Spellweaver Eternal higher because it's a nod to how powerful the blue-red spells deck is, well, there's no four-color, five-color green deck without Ritualist. So got to sort of keep that in check as well. All right, what about red? Uh, for red, I have Open Fire first, Puncturing Blow second, Kenner Scrapper third. And red, red desert at a very close fourth. Yeah, how how much of a snooze fest there that we've just got the same? That's the same. Only three commons that stood uh, stayed the same for both of us from the beginning. Yep, stood the test of time. Yeah, removal's good is the takeaway from that situation. <laughs> Remove. <laughs> Turns out unconditional removal is good. So weird. All right, so for white, I think Oketra's Avenger number one. Yeah, would you say? I would agree. I've got. Then Desert of the True at second, Shocker, that I'm putting the Desert second, and Aven of Enduring Hope, a card that I think didn't make either of our top threes last time, as my number three. Yeah, I would swap the Aven and the Desert of the True. Aven of Enduring Hope kept going up and up and up and up over the course of the format. I kept talking about how good it was, and then finally I just started picking it like third and fourth. And I think it's plenty good enough to pick there, and I... I don't even feel bad about it picking it there anymore. I just feel good that I haven't even been during hope in my deck. Yeah. So Sandblast, was that both of our first commons for white? No, I had I had Dauntless Aven as my number one common and Sandblast number two. And I do think Dauntless Aven was very good, and I think it was really good in the Exert decks. So I think I was stuck in Amonkhet mode where the Exert decks were going to be the best decks. And I think if that mm-hmm. had been the case, then Dauntless Aven might be in our top commons. But that wasn't how the format shook out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it says a lot that you're putting a 5-mana 3-3 flyer that gains you life in your top three instead. Yeah, all right. Pretty interesting how those things, how that changed. Like, we didn't have any deserts in our top three in the first go at this, or even as our in our revised versions in, like, the first couple, first week of the format, but definitely figured it out eventually how good and how high you wanted to take those cards. Yep. What about uncommons? Where did uh, the uncommons shake out for you? How about black? Um, I think obviously if I'm repping team Bane Whip, I'm so glad you're, you're so glad you came home. Yeah. Um, so Bane Whip Punisher number one and number two, I think there are several reasonable options that you can make an argument for. I, I would like any of a cursed horde, vile manifestation and torment of scarabs and Razakus right in the second slot. Personally, I would be lobbying for torment of scarabs, but I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily correct. I think I'm on vile manifestation as the second if everyone if vile manifestation is as good as everyone says it is i think it probably deserves the second slot i just haven't yeah. had that experience with the card yeah it it, it is it is good, as good as everyone says it is yeah so what about uh what about red there red reds on commons were stacked not like blacks um so sand strangler number one uh and a braid i think number two destroying an artifact was pretty relevant against like god pharaoh's gift or abandoned sarcophagus or mirage mirror or edifice like that came up more often than i thought it was gonna come up yep there were there were a lot of good artifacts running around like just uh two mana three damage instant speed was already good but and i thought that artifact stuff was mostly for constructed but nope pretty pretty damn good for limited as well and then nipping at the heels i think are burning fist minotaur and fervent Paincaster. Yeah, that deck list you posted that had a play set of Burning Fist Minotaurs in it was insane. I couldn't believe it. And you wouldn't believe I also like passed a lot of red cards in that pack, or in, in that draft. I was just like, okay, well, 
I know I'm supposed to take this here because this card is insane, and I haven't really played with it that much, but it's just like, what's so insanely good about Burning Fist Minotaur, and I think at the start of the format, I probably would have put Fervent Paincaster above it, but Burning Fist Minotaur not only beats down so well, like it's basically an unblockable 2-1 for like the first few turns of the game while you have open mana, it plays defense so insanely well. Like there were a lot of, there was I think at least one match of that three round draft that I played where I was like, oh, I'm not the beatdown. Great. I'll just stop attacking. And it made combat miserable for my opponent. Yep. It is very good on both sides of the battlefield. All right. What about white? For white, I think Desert's Hold first, Sunscourge Champion, a very, very close second. Sunscourge yeah. Champion is one of my favorite cards in this format. There is no better feeling than facing down a deck that is trying to get you dead and playing a Sunscourge Champion on turn three. Yeah, for sure. And I think we both had wait, Steward wait. of Solidarity. <laughs> wait, time oh. out a second. You typed Sunscorched. Isn't it Sunscourge Champion? Ben, no one, you can't prove that I typed the wrong thing to our listeners, okay? <laughs> I, I don't, cannot. Don't try, <laughs> don't try and shame me. You wrote these show notes. See, I can, I can say things too. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. He's he's just thro- throwing me under the bus. He's so mad that I was on Team Strangler for a little bit. He's trying to sabotage me. Um, and then I think, uh, <laughs> oh my god, and then a steward of solidarity. I think is a very close third. Actually, it's for me. That's that was also your saying. I'm just reading the show notes now. <laughs> no thoughts of my own. I, I I actually disagree with that. I think Sunscourge Champion is quite a bit better than Steward of Solidarity. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I just I think it's uh, also interesting. I think we both had that. Uh, Stewart as uh, the second best uncommon at the start of the format, and uh, just for the same reasons that the go-wide white exert deck wasn't really a thing. I mean, it was a thing, but it was just so much more rare and less powerful than some of the other things you could do in the format. Yeah, what about uh, green's uncommons? I think green stayed the same for us, So, though I did have this swapped in my initial rankings. Um, but Sifter Worm first, what a, what a huge payoff that was for the green ramp deck. Um, again, a nod to incidental life gain being such a house especially in, in a lot of the decks in this format. Um, and then Tenacious Hunter as a close second. Though, it doesn't, like, Tenacious Hunter is very good. I'm not sure where it goes. Yeah, it's just a rock-solid card, but it doesn't really have a home, like, for a deck that it goes in. I really wish that green-black was a thing, because, like, Obelisk, Spider, Tenacious Hunter are just such powerful cards, but Tenacious Hunter, and because it's a four-drop, I feel like it's competing a lot with Oasis Ritualist. Like, I would take Ritualist over Tenacious Hunter, almost always if i was in the green ramp deck right yep and i feel like that's where it is most likely going to go i mean i guess it, it's a solid near top end for green aggro decks but yeah i mean it's it's a house it's a four mana four four we don't really have those stats um at uncommon or common in the set but uh sifter worm much better just because of where it's slotted in uh, and what about blue blue i would say ominous sphinx first and very close second our boy vizier of the anointed that we championed the entire format and still was going too late even now this week on magic online yeah people i mean we must have convinced anyone who's listening to the podcast that they should be taking it but it's so good so good i still think ominous sphinx gets the nod above it for sure yeah it's ominous sphinx is just a rock solid finisher and complicates combat but Vizier the United is like very powerful if you have the time to dirtle, and this format showed that you do have the time to dirtle. Yeah. All right. So what takeaways did we grab from this format? Well, I think I think you should nab the first one here because I think right. you exper- I think you paved the way with all of these cards. I appreciate that. All right. So I think a thing that I learned, this is my biggest takeaway, is to trust R and D for the build around cards. So a lot of cards that we or I really poo-pooed in our set review, like Riddle Form, Imminent Doom, Abandoned Sarcophagus, I came around to by the end. Like Those are all near archetype or archetype-defining cards. Like Riddle Form is the best card in blue-red. Sarcophagus is the main reason to get into blue-black besides Vile Manifestation, which I could lump into this list. Imminent Doom is worth building around and worth grabbing one drops for to make it work. And I mean, I think you could also like, you could lump in Frank Sanity, which you had more success with than I did. But so I'm still I'm like that. Oh, I wouldn't lump in I, here. That's that's a little bit more of a fun build around. I don't think that really is on par with these other three cards. Oh, okay. All right. Good. I, I didn't I didn't know because we we will we will get to to the mill deck in a little bit. But and things like um oh gosh, what's the seven mana doubling enchantment in blue? Uh. <laughs> 
See that th- this is uh, <laughs> that I don't know that card very well. Uh, that's the do- we'll just call that the Doctor Cat's <laughs> Memorial card. This is the, the six and a blue enchantment that like doubles your spells. That is something that I would say I rated low, and I still don't think there's really enough payoffs for that card. But I feel like in the future I'm gonna just trust that these cards are worth drafting around and are worth putting in your decks when you sort of can make them work um, rather than just being like nah this doesn't look like it's worth it it's got to be terrible i just don't think they make those cards anymore well i think it's format to format a little bit right too i think it, i think it varies depending on the speed of the format right if this were a faster format i don't know that imminent doom and sarcophagus would be playable so i think maybe but like riddle form would riddle form certainly would yeah 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 but i, I don't think we can make a blanket statement that in every format the build around cards are always going to be good. I mean, there's just no way to know that. I th- I agree. So, uh, but I and I think that this could be a, the wrong way to look at this. But I want to be a lot in our future set reviews and in my in the beginning of future formats. I want to be more open to looking at how to make these cards work rather than thinking about them as uh, writing them off as cards that won't work. Yes, I would agree. I think I think we should be more willing to experiment with them early in a format and draw our own conclusions after playing with them. Because yeah. I think like I think you paved the way with these cards, and I think you early on established, especially with Imminent Doom, like that it was just good because you were willing to take a flyer and try it. And I think you had some like trophies as a result of your willingness to experiment with that card and figure out that it was good before other people did. Yeah, I mean, the amount of people that came into my chat would be like, why is Imminent Doom in your deck? And just like, and then people in chat defending them being like, I also thought it was terrible, but I've seen him win with it. So like, I guess it works. Yeah, th- these cards are real. All right, what what else? What, what's the next? You should definitely take this next one. Yeah, I think uh, Incidental Life Gain was a huge part of this format. I think it's really powerful. And I think it can definitely slow down a format um, and stop stop aggro decks like we talked about even of enduring hope and sunscourge champion like there is no better feeling on the planet than when you're facing down blue red spells and casting sunscourge champion on turn three um so i think that even of enduring hope and some of those other cards that have life gain attached onto them or lifelink were a big reason that the format was slow enough to i think combat the aggressive exert decks so not not underrating those types of effects in the future and i think it probably is going to be format to format dependent overall like based on how powerful those cards are but definitely like not something to underrate incidental life gain on an, a good card is 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 a powerful thing and i also think can give us clues in the future to how fast a format will be i think it's like i think we if knowing what we know now if we looked at a set similar to this we could be like i bet that aggro decks are going to be less good than normal in this format because of the prevalence of incidental life gain right there is certainly a, a lot of them in the set and since it's a small set, you're going to be seeing them a lot more, too. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, I guess that won't be coming up a lot in the future. No, it won't. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is a really good point. So this is not the first time that Cycling Lands have existed, right? And it will no. probably not be the last time. Hopefully not. They were a huge hit, I think. Huge hit and so good for Limited and so powerful. So just the next time this comes around in whatever, five, eight, ten years, I think it's important to remember that these are very good and very high picks and i guess certainly format dependent like if the format is slow enough or is is super fast then you don't want tapped lands you don't want to be spending two mana on cycling lands but hopefully they won't put cycling lands in a blisteringly fast format anyway that would be pretty much a waste i would think yep what else uh unkillable bombs i.e the gods do not make for very fun games of limited do you remember in our set review when you gave one of the gods not the highest possible grade <laughs> Um, I believe I gave two of them not the highest possible grade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're just like stupid and not fun to play against. I think the only good thing you could say about them is that if you actually did beat one, you got a lot of story equity to tell your friends. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons Puncturing Blow was so good. Like, I was sort of looking at Puncturing Blow at the start being like, well, it's like Sorcery Speed Electrify. That's not that. And more, more difficult to cast because it's double red. But the fact that they... It's really good design that they could kill that it could kill all three of the gods, but they were so oppressive and so not fun, and especially playing in leagues, like it felt like you saw them so much more often than you normally would. It was really tough. Yeah, I mean, if you were getting to the finals, which you and I yeah. were doing a lot, sick brags, right? <laughs> sick brags, yeah. Yeah. What about our next one here? Yeah. So vanilla esque cards with good stats didn't really cut it here. This wasn't really like 
previous core sets that we've seen. We don't know what like the new iteration of core sets will be when they start them up again next year. But things like Harrier Naga that I think we were both pretty high on at the start, like a three mana three three seemed pretty good. And this was probably because we were coming off the heels of Aggro World Triple Amonkhet, or at least where most people thought it was Aggro World, and they just didn't really cut it. Like the two mana two twos, the three mana three threes were not super exciting, and I was often kind of sad to have them in in most of my decks. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, and I think I, I think we defaulted in our initial common rankings, like when we couldn't find like what we wanted the third card to be towards like just a vanilla card with good stats, like a two mana two two with upside or a three mana vanilla three three, like the Harrier Naga. Right. And you you escaped that trap with putting Oasis Ritualist third. I did not. But I, I think in general, like limited has gotten enough better commons have gotten enough better that maybe that stuff's just not going to cut it anymore i would say that might be a a general takeaway for the future Ooh, i hope so i think we've been playing limited long enough that like maybe you know or at least me i'm falling into the trap of harrier naga used to be really good (laughs) and maybe it's just not anymore i'm certainly going to be keeping that in mind in future set reviews that's really smart yeah I, i don't know i mean that's good for the game that it's not just like Two mana two two, three mana three three, turn creatures sideways, giant growth. Like the reason this format survives a hundred, two hundred drafts is because there's so many fascinating interactions and card evaluations in draft, in game, that's so much more beyond the random vanilla creatures. So we both got uh several cards we hit wrong, speaking of our, <laughs> our common and uncommon set review. Do you want to run through a couple of these? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we talked about a few of these already, the, like, build-around cards, like Imminent Doom, Riddleform, Abandoned Sarcophagus, all cards that I sort of wrote off in our set review that turned out to be, I think, build-around all-stars for me. I mean, Riddleform is sort of a, an archetype-defining card in and of itself. I gotta own up to it. Hopefully this will be the last time we'll talk about it. <laughs> Stripe Riverwinder did not end up being the best blue common. Surprise, surprise. I thought it was, like, gonna be, like, the Hexcroc. I was like, they put... They put the Hexcroc at common, It's and it has cycling now. That's just got to be insane. It, it didn't really work out to be that way, did it? No, I think partially, I think five is a lot less toughness than seven, and I think there were a lot less cartouche enchantments running around, which is what really made the Hexproof crocodile shine. Yeah, I guess that's true. The Torment cards, like Torment of Scarabs... I guess really just Torment of Scarabs. Like We, we sort of lumped Torment of Scarabs and Hailfire together as like wrote writing them off but Torn of scarabs really turned out to be a real card i think i sort of went too far down on it then too high on it and then sort of leveled out to an appropriate rating for it <laughs> i well we get we both gave it an f right yeah and then the first time i played it it went way up for me and the second time i played it it went up a little bit more and then i just stayed way too high on it for the rest of the format because it was such a fun card to play with for sure for sure <laughs> what's uh what's the next card on this list ben i don't think i was oh my uh, God. wrong about this card yeah the next card on this list is imaginary threats i can't believe i gave this like the second highest grade we could give i guess <laughs> a four and a half stars which is like a very strong pull into the color or something yeah <laughs> yeah it this card was not good i don't know what i was thinking i was clearly off my rocker i have no defense it but in your defense everyone like a lot of people who do reviews graded this card pretty highly yeah, uh, we were just all wrong. We fell into the trap of it's a card that can win a game and has a very powerful effect that has cycling. It just didn't turn out to be an effect that you were at all interested in really in the format. Uh, the next one on the list, I think you really pegged and I was super down on, which is Godfaro's Gift. I would windmill slam first pick this and give it a five-star grade uh, at this point in the format. I mean, this card is probably the best rare in the set, uh... like non-mythic. Just because it's colorless, yeah. It's colorless, like, yeah, it's so powerful. I mean, Angel of Condemnation might be better, but that card just gets killed by everything. Godfarer's Gift is just so good. Yep. I just, like, feel like pack one, pick one. I'm just so thrilled to have it. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, Next on the list is Driven to Despair. I do like this one. I don't think this is very good. And I think I specifically fell into the trap of when I'm watching the loading ready run pre-pre-release, I saw it cast in its best case scenario. Mm. And I think it really warped my evaluation of the card like seeing it cast in its best case scenario 
Next on the list is Overcome. I think you and I and the rest of the world overrated this, but I would give myself and our podcast credit. I think we realized really early on in the format that it wasn't good and adjusted accordingly. I'm going to give you credit because you played with it before I did. I wasn't like, you were telling me like, I don't think this is that good. And I was like, I don't know, like small sample size, yada, yada. Like I hadn't played with it yet, but you, you got it really early on. Yeah. I took several O2 lumps for the team <laughs> to figure <laughs> that one out. Yeah. Um, next on the list is Appeal to Authority. This card is just great. It was what Overcome wanted to be and was not, and I think we were way too low on it. Yeah, and it took me way too long to figure out how good it was and how much of a pull into green-white it was. Like, that it's a signal that that archetype is open. It's a reason to be in that deck. So, so, so powerful. Always the best card in that. Didn't you just post a, like, three Appeal to Authority deck on Twitter? Yeah, 3 would easy-peasy. Yeah. Last one on this list? Last one on the list is another one I was way off base on. I didn't have Oketra's Avenger in my top three commons. I was giving it a knock as an X1, and it was just a powerful enough card that you were going to play it regardless of whether or not it was an X1. Yeah, still still good today. Still worth uh, taking as a white signal for sure. We are <laughs> so sad. Looking at our cards I was wrong about list versus our cards I was right about lists. much smaller. Yeah, well, and I think that's because you and I are... Like a lot, there were a lot of cards that were hard to peg, and I think we're pretty good card evaluators. So I think there were a lot of cards we were right about that maybe like aren't anything to write home about. But right. I do think we, I mean, we got a lot of cards right in this review. Yeah, for sure. So one thing that I was right about, but not as right as I could have been, um, I did have Oasis Ritualist in my top three green commons. I, I believe what I said in the set review was people are going to underrate this card, and for a while they did. Like I think it took. I don't know, four weeks for people to start realizing, like, this is whatever, Gift of Paradise attached to a creature, and it lets that, like, triple Gift of Paradise deck is still alive with Oasis Ritualist. And the format slowed down, and so it was even better than it was when Triple Amonkhet was around. Yeah, it was really funny. In prep for the show, I looked through, like, right before we did the Skype call, I looked through all my 3-0 drafts, and it was, like, very much a timeline snapshot of the format. Like, my first... 10 trophies or so were like aggressive like removal beatdown type decks and then once i got to around like trophy 12 13 like trophies like 12 through 20 were like five color green <laughs> like <laughs> and then like tro- my last five trophies were like really good like white blue white black like some of the the powerful two color combinations that were good when they were open like when everybody was trying to draft five color green yeah so my 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 trophy picks there really kind of showed the evolution of the format it was interesting for sure and another card that i think we were right about uh was torment of hailfire like i'm still not convinced that this is a card you want to main deck maybe it's a card you want to side in though i've never done it like i just i've had this cast against me so many times and still won that i think the times when it does win you the game when like anything else could have won that game anyway um pretty down on this card as a, a viable limited finisher Yep, I think it's good in sealed. I do think it's, I think you're supposed to try to play it in sealed, but in draft, I don't think it's very playable. For me, I think I was right about the prediction. I predicted in our set review that the format was going to slow down and be a lot grindier, and I think that's how it shook out. Uh, so for me, a takeaway from that is to trust my my initial read a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I've been playing a lot of limited a long time, so I think it took two or three or four weeks before I really like saw that come into fruition but um it was nice like predicting that and then having that be how the format ended up shaking out and i think i nailed the common desert maybe not even enough but i I gave all our common deserts in our set review a 3.5 so like the highest rating possible before they started to pull you into color and maybe they even Mm -hmm. ended up pulling you into color i think yeah so yeah that was that was a thing and then blue mill frank sanity i think was you could win with that card Uh, i think the blue mill dream was alive and well I don't think it was if you're trying to like your hardest to win. I don't think it's something you're actually supposed to move in on. But if you were trying to have some fun, draft a Frank Sanity deck. I certainly think that was something you could do. And as evidence, I 3-0'd twice with Frank Sanity. I've won 2'd many times with Frank Sanity. Does that count? That does not count. <laughs> so yeah, let's uh, before we wrap things up here, let's run down some favorite memories slash achievements unlocked during our Devastation draft. Okay, I have three that I am particularly proud of. One, I sided in Protection of the Hecma in a deck where I also had Overwhelming Splendor, and so I had both of those on the battlefield. So that Overwhelming Splendor turned all of my opponent's creatures into 1-1s, and then Protection of the Hecma made it so that when anything dealt me one damage, or anything dealt me damage, it prevents one of those damage. So it's like a soft lock against all of your opponent's creatures. 
that was pretty fun. I had a, another like insane combo that I posted on Twitter, like probably the best board state I had in the format. Oh yeah, I saw that picture. <laughs> I had anointed procession plus anointer priest plus crested sun mare plus sandworm convergence and had cast it uh, an hour of promise. So I was like making tokens, gaining life from anointer priest, getting double those tokens with anointed procession. The life gain caused my crested sun mare to give me a horse. And then I also had sandworm convergence for the double worms at the end of turn with anointed procession. It was a beautiful thing. And that uh, screenshot was turn six. Yeah, that was, oh my God, I saw that. It was disgusting. And I guess the theme of this format for me is that I love imminent doom and I have gotten that up to six counters. That is impressive. I think five was the highest I ever got it up to. And you put me onto that card, and boy, was it good. Yeah. What about you? For me, uh, my highlight was trophying twice with Fraying Sanity. One time, it was a little loose because it was like half Fraying Sanity, half Archfiend of Ifnir. Mm-hmm. And my Sears of Last Tomorrow kind of did double duty with the Archfiend of Ifnir. But the last, the second trophy I did was just like legitimately a good like blue-white control deck with tons of life gain, two Sunscourge champions, just kind of turtled up. And really milled the opponent out. I had some Ipanew Rivulets here the last tomorrow, Frank Sanity. I think it was just legitimately a good control deck with Mill as a win condition. Um, so that was cool. Uh, and then you mentioned the triple appeal to authority deck. That deck had zero rares, zero removal, and zero deserts. And I trophied with it. So showing off how, how powerful appeal to authority was there. Um, that was pretty sweet. That was my last last trophy. And then another sweet thing, I, I just love playing with Torment of Scarabs once I realized <laughs> that it was a good card. I ended up in a board state. I had a deck with Torment of Scarabs and a, a Bantu's Last Reckoning to where I wrathed my opponent and they were at three life and had no cards in hand. So like they just literally could not win. Like I won on the spot because Torment of Scarabs was on the battlefield because they if they drew their card, they had to pitch it. Um, maybe they were at six. So they got like one draw step. So they only mm-hmm. ever were going to be able to cast like one card for the rest of the game. It was a pretty solid feeling because I love like the braids prison style decks and cube. Yeah. And Torment of Scarabs felt a little bit like that. And then I turn five uh, cast Nicol Bolas off of Oasis Ritualist, which was also pretty awesome. Whoa, what? <laughs> turn five? Turn five Nicol Bolas. Uh, I had, it was the second time I opened Nicol Bolas and we forced five color green and I, yeah, slammed a Nicol Bolas on turn five off my Oasis Ritualist. How did that game work out for you? I won, convincingly. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Man, I am so jazzed to go play this format, right? Like, just like talking about all these cards and like how cool all these interactions are. I just want to go draft again, which is crazy considering I've already done like about a million of them. Yep, this format is officially great. But I think, unfortunately, we are going to have to end the episode discussing it there. Well, one format down, another format coming right up. Ixalan common on common set review next week yeah i think so i'm super psyched to do our first like standalone big set common on common set review so i think in the spirit of ixlan we had a suggestion to set up kind of a list of achievements for the podcast which sounds like super cool to me so i think we're gonna try to like as the spoiler comes out like once the full spoiler hits try to compile a list of similar to like um, milling somebody out with fraying sanity or combining overwhelming splendor and protection of the hecma for the soft lock things like that that are super awesome but that don't happen every day come up with a list of xbox style achievements for ixalan and we want your help so if you see any cool like awesome draft like live the dream type interactions in the spoilers tweet them at us or email at lords of limited uh, gmail.com and then, you know, maybe we're going to try as like a group of people that listen to the podcast, you know, you if you get one of them done, tweet at us or email us a screenshot and we'll cross it off the list. <laughs> and then if any one person somehow manages to do them all, you know, we'll have some sort of a prize, like maybe a draft set um, from Ixalan, like three Ixalan packs. Um, so you can go to your next draft for free. It sounds super cool to me. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. I like doing a, like an Ixalan limited scavenger hunt of sorts to like get cross these things off the list. I love that. And that feels like fun to like get that tweeted at us. Like, we'll try this. And then in the next couple streams, try and uh, assemble some sort of sweet combo that we didn't know was there. Yeah, be on the lookout for that. If you see cool interactions like that, once the spoiler hits, tweet ideas at us or email ideas at us. And we'll we'll have the list, you know, maybe a couple episodes into the format for everybody to start going out and trying to check off thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro outro music make sure you give it a listen and he is streaming himself these days so make sure you go check out his channel on twitch 
You can also check out our channels on Twitch. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. You can also tweet at us. Like we said, we're looking for those Ixalan achievements to unlock. So give us a shout out on Twitter. Send us some uh, sweet deck pics. Uh, we are at Twitter at the same names, Lord Tupperware and Mr. Metronome. Yeah, and if you've got any feedback about the show or questions you want us to answer on the show, give us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep, thanks everybody. See you later.